in the suburbs of Gotham City is the home of Bruce Wayne. Only the faithful Alfred knows what lies beneath the house. Those relentless crusaders for law and order, Batman and Robin. Welcome to the next installment of the Dork Knights, the podcast that the internet deserves, but not the one it needs, or asked for, or wanted, but it's getting anyway. As usual, I am your host, MB, and joining me, the bird wonder himself, while the boast birdman. Oh, oh, ah! Did Thank you. Did you just have a stroke? I think I had, I think uh, what happened is uh, I sneezed, burped. Uh, piss and fart it all at the same time. That takes a lot of skill. Yeah, a lot of skill or a lot of dumb luck. Um, I've been told that I have a lot of both. Yeah, that's been kind of a running theme in your life, hasn't it? Yeah, I get by on luck. That's pretty much how I do things. So for this episode, we decided we're going to record for the second time in a week, yes. which is... We're mad men, uh, stop us. Yeah, it's unusual for us, but, uh, you know, we decided to go along with it because, you know, we don't have anything else to do, really. It's either this or molest ourselves, and, I mean, frankly, you get kind of tired of that after a yeah, while. Yeah, I mean, I do it, like, five times a day. It, it chafes. Yeah. I mean, you should see my hand. My hand's like a little, like, clawed hook, you know, yeah, where you're... the purple tunnel's got me. Yeah, I mean, you were that way before because you're Southern, that made you defective. Yeah, I'm just, so what if my parents were brother and sister and father and mother and uncle and aunt, as well as being second and third cousins? Who cares? They were also half bird, to be yeah. fair. And I mean, there's a reason I'm, you named the bird man. <laughs> I'm, technically, I'm, I am my great-grandfather, I'm my own great-grandfather, my own uncle, my own stepbrother, and my own son. And that's just the normal side of the family. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean... That's my mother's side. You don't even want me to get involved on my father's side. <laughs> but, yeah, we just decided, eh, we're going to do an episode. Yeah, you know, we, why not? We, both of us, were sort of MIA on this past week's episode of the Off Panel Podcast, which is another podcast that we do. Pimp that out there. OPP, you down with OPP? Yeah, you know me. I like how unenthused I was about that. I, yeah, you down with OPP? I, I guess. Sure, why not? <laughs> That'd be me in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we decided since we missed out on this week's OPP, and it was totally, like, we totally volunteered ourselves out of it. It was... Yeah, we what we did in the spirit of equality and laziness, we volunteered to sit out this week to let two women take our place. Yeah. Yeah, which... Is the only time you're into the idea of inequality, to be fair. Yeah, if if it'll if it'll, if it'll at least give me half a chance at some pussy. <laughs> I'm I'm all for equality. And thankfully it didn't give you any chance, so No. We're all safe I mean, for another day. Which is you know, I mean, the, it's you kinda, you didn't get to procreate, so we're all safe yeah, for another day. It's it's kinda stupid you think about it, hoping to get some pussy from two women who are thousands of miles away from me. Not only that, but they're two nerd women. Two well, two nerd women with standards. So yeah, those are yeah, that is that is the big thing. Standards. Standards. Uh, yeah, yeah. They don't matter. It's probably why I'm still single. Forever alone. But I think we should move on before we have a repeat of the horrible Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, which will hopefully never be heard because I don't yes. want to put that one up. Um, we'll call suicides. <laughs> but um. This week, we decided to go a different uh, route, which is not really different because we talk about anything and everything, so anything we talk about is technically staying within the same route that we always take, but I'm calling it a different route just to be different, so yeah. stop looking just, at, I mean, stop looking being, at me like that. Being different for different sake. Yeah. Basically, we're being pricks about it, but um, we decided we're going to... Do what we would have done on OPP, except we're not going to have voices talking over us. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, my accent is the only shitty accent that you need. Yeah, I mean, sure, John is more charming than you. Uh, well, yeah, but that's kind of by default. I mean, 
anybody, I think anybody except for you is more charming than me. Even Trusty? Well, I'm sure he's pretty charming if he if he speaks Spanish, you know. <laughs> he probably speaks Spanish like uh, Antonio Banderas, you know. <laughs> Senorita, me gusta. Me amo es Aquaman. <laughs> I can see it. But uh, he has like this big like mustache, you know, this curly mustache <laughs> that he He's El Jeffy. Yes. El Jefe. El Jefe. Me amo Ramon. <laughs> Ramon. And for some reason there's a mariachi band playing behind him. <laughs> Jeffy Ramon. Jefe uh, Ramon. Jefe. Yeah. Yeah, you, you got you gotta remember the in, in uh speak talk, the J makes an H sound. Oh right, like jalapeno. Which, yeah, jalapeno or how instead of Jesus he's called Jesus. Or hombre. Or hombre, yes. Wait a minute, well, this... that's, that's not an H, that's a J. Wait a minute, yeah, let's, this is also becoming fucking Spanish class. Yeah, yeah, also it's really getting to kind of racist territory, so... I mean, I know you that's like not, that. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, I know you like that, but I've I've got a, I've got a reputation to uphold. So, yeah. uh, let's, let's move on. Uh, both of us, for in preparation for this week, and that's a lie because we technically were... Pre- preparing for uh, OPP. Yeah, but fuck those guys. Yeah. Um, we both read, like, a just a ton of comic books this week. And mm-hmm. uh, we decided, you know, just to give our many reviews of each and every yeah, one. Yeah, just because, I mean, most of the time in OPP, what we do is, like, we talk about them a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, you know, we touch base. Really, we don't go too in-depth with them just because in the essence of time, because we've always got talking points to get to, and fan questions, which is kind of funny, because who the fuck are fans of us? <laughs> I'm still amazed that anybody listens to it, besides Trusty and John. Yeah. Oh, even we don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, and I edit it, so that's really Yeah, you happens. edit, and yeah, even we have fucking standards. <laughs> as low as they may be. Yeah, very low. But, um... You know, typically how we do this is, well, how we've been doing this the past few weeks is we list all the comic books that we've read, yeah. then go into reviews. So I figured mm-hmm. maybe that'd be a good strategy to take for this one. Yeah, uh, let me, how, how about you go first? Because I I always forget my comics. Okay, let me pull up the list. And pretty much, I think just about everything you read, I read for the most part. There may have been like a few things, but we're usually pretty good, um... When it comes to keeping up with stuff, yeah. So I'll I'll start. Um, Batman number six, Batman Beyond number one, which was a digital comic. Uh, Catwoman number six, Wonder Woman number six, Invincible Iron Man number five thirteen, Amazing Spider Man number six seventy nine point one, uh, Winter Soldier number two, Daredevil number nine, Nightwing number six, Red Hood and the Outlaws number six. Supergirl number six, and I also discovered a new series this week that I haven't read before. Uh, two new series, in fact, Irredeemable and Incorruptible, both mm-hmm. by Mark Wade. So, those are my comics for the week. What about you? Um, I read most of that except for a few. Like, I didn't read Irredeemable, Incorruptible. I didn't read like Nightwing. Um, okay, I read The Activity, number three. And I read Peter Panzerfaust. Which is an image book. Yeah, it's an image book. Number one, Activities image book as well. And um, I read Road Rage, number one. That's, uh, I think that's IDW doing, either IDW or Dynamite, they're doing that one. That's number one. And I read DC Universe Presents, number six. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not a new series. Well, it's it's number six, but it's the start of a new uh, focus, you know, because DC Universe is kind of a anthology series, and so they're shifting focus from Dead Man to another uh, topic or to another uh, another group of characters. Yeah, and, also a new creative team. Yeah, well, I I thought Dan Didio did Dead Man as well. No, uh, that was Paul Jenkins. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, and I think, like I said. Pretty much everything else you read, except for a few things I read, and everything except for like the few things that I listed, you read. I don't think you read Supergirl. No, I didn't. That's right. Um, I said a few things, like Supergirl, Nightwing, I don't know. 
incorruptible or incorruptible, irredeemable. But yeah, for the most part, we were we were in sync. All right. So, uh, what do you want to start with? Do you want to talk about Batman? Because yeah. I figure yeah, both let's... of us. Yeah, I mean, are... like, I'm not gonna go out and say that it was my favorite of the week. Mm-hmm. And usually it is, so that was kind of surprising. But it is definitely, it, it's definitely an awesome book. Just because Scott Snyder's been knocking it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Like, this is probably one of my favorite Batman runs in recent memory. Yeah, uh, I, I know maybe I'm getting a little too far ahead of myself, but right now it's it's on pace to be like up there with like uh, like the Long Halloween and Dark Victory when it comes to uh, like a long term uh, story arc. Not, I mean, you know, like stuff like what Morrison's been doing is good, but that's uber long stuff. And um, some of the more stuff, other um, issues, you know, they've been good, but I'm just talking about in terms of, like, this is supposed to be, what, a 12-part story arc, so essentially a year-long thing. Yeah. I, I kind of get what you're saying. Um, and the story, for those who don't really know, the story of Batman so far is that Bruce Wayne is being hunted by a group that call themselves the Court of Owls, which are a yeah. new... A new set of villains that they're, Scott Snyder created. Yeah, they're new, but at the same time, they're very old. Yeah, that's kind of the twist, is that they've always been in Gotham City. It's just that they're a secret society of assassins and killers that um, pick off prominent members of society. Um, specifically the Wayne family, because Alan Wayne, it was hinted that and then yeah. later revealed that Alan Wayne was killed by one of the Court of Owls. So, um, and they employ an assassin called the Talon, and there's actually a nursery rhyme in Gotham City that's supposed to inspire, you know, yeah. fear and horror from do, the citizens. Do you do you remember how it the, went? Um, not offhand, but it's, I mean, it's it's pretty, it's pretty intel, it's pretty good stuff. Like, like uh, the core of owls, something about hiding behind. Uh, the granite and lime of Gotham City. Yeah, and it rhymes. So it's a yeah. nursery rhyme. That's that's all you need to know. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, so what the story deals with is Bruce Wayne ostensibly believing that the court doesn't exist, and sort of the court revealing themselves that he's wrong, and that everything he knows is basically a lie about Gotham. And it's really this this whole big conspiracy that even as good as I thought Batman R.I.P. was. Mm -hmm. I think this is a much more effective group of the secret society that comes after Batman. Yeah, like I know. I think what it kind of is is that like uh, the black the Black Glove uh, Club of Villains, whatever they were called, they were they were kind of threatening. But like I think what makes the Court of Owls a lot more threatening is the fact that. They their history predates Batman. It you know it predates nearly Gotham City, or it's it's tied hand in hand with Gotham City, and it's woven into the fabric so well. Just like it was issue four, where they show how the Court of Owls have been nested in these hideouts all throughout Gotham City inside Wayne buildings. Yeah, so it's it's been like right under his feet. Uh, uh, you know, all these years he's been Batman, and they it's almost like. Up until now, they've tolerated him. You know, they they don't care about Batman. They're 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 much more, would you say, bigger? Well, they they just he's just so minimalistic on the scale of what's happening in Gotham yeah. to them that he they've just never really they just he's never really had the time. time. Yeah, he, they just really never really cared about him. Yeah, let but, him beat up some muggers and supervillains as long as they, he doesn't mess with their status quo. Yeah, but now that he's He's sort of out to change Gotham as Bruce Wayne, which is a big part of the first issue. Mm-hmm. Was that he's out to do more, a little more good? Um, that suddenly messes with their status quo, and all of a sudden, they're coming after him and his loved ones. And you basically find out that there are hundreds of thousands of. Well, what they're setting up is that there are hundreds of thousands of uh, Court of Owl members. Is it supposed to be that many? I mean, like well, hundreds. Maybe hundreds. Yeah, maybe uh, thousands was a little yeah, cause, over doing it, but yeah, you, that's like ten <laughs> percent of the population in Gotham City is a quarter of hours. 
Yeah. I mean, would you be surprised? I mean, they're all psycho yeah, killers. Everybody in Gotham City is a supervillain. Fact. <laughs> they're either a supervillain or they're on their way to become a supervillain. Oh my gosh. Commissioner Gordon is the Red Hood. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I think everybody pretty much has had a turn as a Red Hood. You know, Joker, Jason Tide, Alfred, Ace the Bat Hound. They've all been Red Hood somehow or another. Batmite. Yeah, Su- Batmite. Superman was a Red Hood for one time. Yeah, Batman kicked him in some acid. He's like, ha, 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 ha. And he punched Batman's face off. <laughs> that was a story from the 60s that never got published. Yeah, and then, yeah, he... Superman dressed like Red Hood at Jimmy Olsen's wedding to a monkey. <laughs> I can see it. Um, but yeah, this issue specifically, the number six issue that we both read, mm-hmm. is Batman has been trapped in this labyrinth that's basically put him off from the rest of the world. Like, he's been missing for a couple weeks. It, it's been a week. I thought, like, the issue before they said he's been gone about a week. Um... Because that kind of ties into something that I wanted to comment on later. Because I seen some, I seen like on the internet there was like talk like it was about eight days I think. Yeah, something like that. So a little over a week. Yeah. Um, which you know you wouldn't expect that for some like Batman because he's always in death traps and and such where he easily finds a way to escape. But yeah. this you know they carefully plotted it out and weared him down to the point that he's kind of. In the last issue, you kind of saw him start to lose his mind a little bit because of a hallucinogen that's in water that they that basically they put him down to where he's he has to have a drink of water. Like he's gone days without any liquids yeah. or anything, so and that's they basically something, trick him into being poisoned. Yeah, and he's supposed to be drugged, and like he starts to hallucinate. Mm-hmm. He starts tripping balls. <laughs> basically, it's. The issue should have been called Batman Driven Balls. Yeah, like the, he sees like stuff in the shadows, and he starts hearing Jimi Hendrix in his head. <laughs> but yeah, this issue actually deals with the Batman versus the talent fight. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think that's kind of why it isn't my favorite because it's basically just a fight. It's Batman versus the talent. You know, the talent. Yeah. Obviously, he's not going to win. Cause that, yeah, it's that kind of the end damn of the Batman. Book. I mean, how do you continue to have a book without the lead character? Um, hey, why, don't you, why don't you ask Grant Morrison that? <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know you know how it's going to turn out. You know... Batman's going to win. Yeah, you know he's going to escape eventually. And I, I think that's the only reason I was a little disappointed by it. Because it, well, it was just... It was what you expect. But Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's something but that the journey, The journey there is what yeah. makes it... This is like the at this point it's the halfway point in the story. Mm-hmm. He sort of you know he hit his all time low in the last issue. Yeah. And so now he has to work his way back up and prepare for war against you know the court. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I want to talk about is I've seen a lot some people criticizing it on the internet since issue five how crazy Batman was acting and. Uh, how he was drugged down, and uh, what they said was, you know, Batman shouldn't be down that low, because you know he is the master, uh, you know, willpower. He's the best human in the world, and you know all this stuff. And to me, that makes the character like, you know, they were pretty much what they were saying is that it it contradicted all the stuff that was done before. Like, you know, the 90s, how they built up Batman to be, like, the bat guy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and to me, to take to do that... Makes the is, character uninteresting. Yeah, uninteresting, because, you know, he's like, yes, you know, I'm down, I'm down here for eight days, but yet I survive. Why? Because I'm Batman. And then he just walks off. But, you know, you need him to... Because that's what this whole setup's been, up until issue five, was... His hubris. He's been, you know, uh, the Court of Isles doesn't exist because if they did, I, Batman, would have found them by now and I would have eradicated them from Gotham City because I'm Batman and I'm that good. Yeah, and I'm, I'm awesome. Him, yeah, I'm awesome. And he flies away. But, um, but to, you know, to see him knocked down off his high horse is just, I mean, because, like, like I was saying, for him not 
to you know have all these contingencies in place, which is it's cool to see that every now and then. But for him to do it every single time, every single story arc, get it can get boring. Yeah, and definitely. you know what they said. What someone was arguing was that how he trained his mind and body to go without water. Yeah, that's the case. Sometimes you can do that, but not eight days. The body can't go that long without water. You can't train yourself to bypass physiology. Yeah, exactly. You can't have the willpower to not become dehydrated. Yeah, and that also, happen. I think the willpower argument itself is a little stupid, just yeah. because, you know, Batman Will- survived. Like, he's still in pretty good condition, even yeah. after everything the Court of Owls is thrown out of him. And not only that, but he just escaped them, which... It, Barely. Yeah, he he barely escaped them, but he still escaped them. Yeah, and it was obvious that they didn't want him to escape. You know, he was meant to die. And I also seen some criticism from this issue. People didn't like it because of the fact that even though you know how weak and beat up he should have been, he still managed to take on the talent and you know beat the crap out of him. But to me, if you read the issue, it makes sense because. Yeah, he's getting his butt whooped, and then he sees that picture of Alan Wayne seeing him broken down and dying, and that sort of triggers, we say, it makes him go into a, not really a rage, but like kind of, it gets him going and it activates kind of like adrenaline inside of him. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a fact that you people, when they get motivated in like life threatening situations, they can do incredible things. You've heard people like moving buses and stuff, like after car wrecks and stuff. Mm hmm. Because they've that surge of adrenaline, and to me, I mean, if you look at it in that context, it makes sense. But most folks, I mean, it just seems like you know, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, I mean, people complain for the sake of complaint, yeah. they're always gonna haters gonna hate. I mean, you can make the most amazing Batman story of all time, people are still gonna detract yeah. it. Like, there's nothing that's gonna please everyone all the yeah. time. So, you know, I, criticisms don't really bother me that much. Yeah, I mean, like, the one thing, the this the thing about how he should not have been put in that situation to begin with, it just bothered me. I wanted to get that out there because, you know, he, yeah, sure, he is, he is the most, I guess, would you say, the almost the highest potential that a human being can be. But still, at the end of the day, that word human is still there. Yeah. And he's still just a man. Also... I mean, people just mistake what makes Batman appealing as a character is that he does have limitations. He does. He is the guy that can't do everything that Superman can or or Flash or any of those guys. But he still he knows he knows that he's flawed and he still works to make up for it. Yeah, and just how he he fights in spite of his limitations. I mean. And I will admit, I mean, like I said, some of the stuff in the 90s, the Bat God stuff, is cool. Don't get me wrong. Some of it. Some but of it. Not it all of it. it can be overdone. Yeah. Because the whole prep time argument kind of is where I kind of like, yeah, really? Uh, you know, kind of just, even I though think, I'm a huge fan of Batman. Batman is my favorite, you know, comic book character. But still, that prep time stuff can get on, on my nerves. It It gets on my nerves, but... Only because it's taken to such extremes by fans. Yeah, like how... Like, it's not really... It's not really taken to that degree by anyone except Grant nah, Morrison. Yeah, it's, it's the fan. Yeah, Grant Morrison, I mean, he started it, and... And he... I mean, he, he can... If he does something with that, I'm fine with it, because, you know, he's the one who started it. Just like the stuff in R.I.P. with his backup identity. That was cool, and it was handled pretty well. But, you know, when the fans say, you know, oh... Uh, Batman can beat uh, Galactus from Marvel because he he would sit in a cave for 20 years doing prep time. Yeah, I mean, it's that old joke where, you know, Batman can beat God with enough prep time. Yeah. Yeah, it could be taken to such extremes, and I'm I'm glad that Scott Snyder went out of the way to say, look, he, someone has gotten under his skin, and they've beaten him. Yeah. And they've, they've, they've humbled him. I would yeah. say, like, I—that's what I ultimately want to see out of this: is Batman being humbled into believing, okay, everything he does isn't perfect. He can't have a contingency for everything. He just needs to do the best that he can, and the best that he can isn't 
you know, having something for everything. It's having something for... It's basically being able to make sure that he's always reliable. He's always dependable in a time of crisis. Yeah. And one thing I think that they did a good job with, with the Court of Isles, is that he did something that you never really seen him do, is that he underestimated somebody. Yeah. And that's something that you've never seen Batman ever do. He always... He's always prepared, and yeah, he he always assesses a situation. Mostly correct. Yeah, I mean he he's, you know what's going to happen when the Joker terrorizes Gotham City. Yeah, like Joker, Two Face, Riddler, you know what to get from them guys. But even like common muggers, like he knows what to expect. Yeah. But I like the idea that he doesn't know everything about yeah. everyone. Um, do you want to move on because we've been talking about this for a while? Yeah, yeah. What's another book that you and I both read? A Red Hood? Yeah, you want to talk about that? Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I don't really have much to say because I haven't been following it that much. Uh, but... I've been following. I've been following since the number one. And you read number one, right? You read all of the New Fifty Two. Yeah, I read. I read number one. Um, well, tell me what you thought about number one, just like off the top here. Don't go too in depth with it because I know you did that on another podcast, Pull Up Nightmare, plugging that for you. Yeah, yeah, I did the uh, NBA New Review, which I talked about all the number ones. Took six months, but you did it. Yeah, it took like it was five parts, and it Epic. derailed the podcast for like a couple months. But Epic. finally, we got through it. But it was, um, um, it was your birth of a nation. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it was it was my history of the world. There you go. The first issue, you know, for the most part, I liked it. I liked like the humor of it. I thought a little, a few of the concepts, like, like, uh, I know everyone rails about it, but Starfire, like, I thought that was a little, it could have been handled a little better. Yeah. And, you know, overall, I liked it. It just, it didn't seem like a book that I would stick with just because it wasn't going anywhere that I thought was interesting. So, like, I liked it for what it was. I didn't have a compulsion to follow it. I've been sticking with it, uh, but um, yeah, number you know you talked about the criticism Starfire that that was pretty much the big thing from that week was how she was portrayed as sort of being this um, this alien who didn't care about humanity or anything. All she cared about was well, I wouldn't say she all she cared about was sex, but like you know she was promiscuous kind of. They kind of portrayed her as a little promiscuous and. Um, like the way she she had like the memory of a lot of people said she had the memory of a goldfish and she didn't really remember humans and still like, all her time with the previous time with the Teen Titans had been forgotten and um, that was where a lot of criticism come from but um, but yeah in this issue they kind of they go back and they explain like what happened uh, prior to the first issue. But um, which it works good because if you follow the the what you call it the um the previous issue, you see they've done some more in her character how she's kind of not remembering this stuff. She's kind of I would say almost in denial. Yeah. Um, about like like uh, her time with the Titans, mostly because of um of Dick Grayson. Her romance with Dick Grayson, which has been a staple of the Teen Titans uh, mythos for uh, many years since the 80s. But, um, but yeah, they kind of showed, like, she kind of chooses not to remember just because, like, she feels like if she remembers, like, if she bases herself and who she is off of the past Dick Grayson, that sort of takes away from what she is as a person, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and I actually like that about the issue, because um, for so long, Starfire's been kind of played as, you know, the Teen Titans liaison, almost. Is that yeah, she only showed up when, you know, the Titans were in danger, or, or you know, she only showed up when such and such was happening with Dick, or, like, recently she was in the Titans series, um... And she came back to Gotham City when Dick Grayson was Batman. And it's like, it was basically just about their relationship and nothing yeah. else. Like, she didn't really seem to serve a purpose in the larger ECU besides that. So, I, I kind of I like that. Like, they were pushing her forward in a way. Um, one thing, too, is that 
you, you talked about this. One thing I've noticed, like, in a lot of portrayals of the Teen Titans and, um, with cartoon as well, she's been kind of, would you say, naive? Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to her, uh, understanding of humans and stuff, but it's sort of, I mean, like, in this one, it's sort of like she's smarter than, like, everybody gives her credit for. Mm-hmm. And she chooses to hide, like, her brains behind her, I guess, her exterior. And uh, just, you know, I kind of like that take, instead of her being woefully ignorant. But you can expect her to be ignorant because she's alien. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, one thing, too, I can't remember who it was, but if you read, like, in the cover, the writer, he didn't he didn't write the dialogue. He just, he, he wrote, I think he did the script and the panels and stuff, and they had... Uh, what was his name? He did the dialogue. Dang. Kevin Williamson, I think, is his name. He did? I think so. If you look, let me let me look. Uh, I got it here somewhere. Let me look for it. Uh, because on the cover, you see, uh, what's his name? The writer and Scott Rockford. Wardle. Yeah, him and Rockford, they're, list, they're the only two listed on the, on the um, cover. But then when you get to it, let's see. Josh Williamson, he did the dialogue. And I forgot what Josh Williamson he's he's been writing books in the New Fifty Two, but I can't for the life of me think of what he's been writing. You, can you think of anything? Name sounds familiar. But oh, okay, I... yeah, he was the writer on uh, Voodoo, and I think he left Voodoo to do another project. Let me look. Well, Ron Mars was the writer on Voodoo. Okay, well he he's the new writer on Voodoo then. Okay. Uh, I think he took he took over Voodoo starting last month or yeah last month. I think the new issue issue comes out this month, but um. I wish I could find out what what he's been writing other stuff too, but um yeah he did the dialogue and I think I don't know if that's what helped this issue be better. Yeah, it was but, like my favorite issue of it so far because I read yeah I read issue I don't think it was two maybe it was two but I think it was oh, I also read three and this so, is issue yeah. six so I've I've read some of it half you read half of it get it pretty right. much. And Scott Lobel, like, I'm not a huge fan of because yeah. I, I read his Teen Titans and his Superboy, and they weren't. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's what I was going to say. I'm not really a fan, but, yeah, I've been sticking with it. Just because I've always, like, I've always liked Roy Harper. You know, he's not in this issue. But um, uh, Jason's never, I've never really had a problem with Jason. He's been a character I've been interested in, and I really don't have any feelings either way about Starfire. But, um, except sexy feelings. Oh, yeah. But, um... <laughs> But um, you're uh, into, you're into people with skin that isn't brown. Yeah, you know me. As long as the skin's not a race that's on this planet, then I'm attracted. Green and orange skin, you know me. <laughs> now we do. But like one thing that I want to see more of, you know, Jason has been getting most of the backstory and character development because I mean, this really is Red Hood. I mean, his name's first. He's the character. The headline, but um, she's been Starfire's getting me getting more play, and hopefully they can give Roy some character development. I mean, I'm still like in his role; you know, he's kind of the comedy relief, which in and of itself is a bad idea. But just try to give him a little more and give him something meaty to do. Yeah, most most probably happy because like I've been keeping up with the book, I and mean, it's not up until this issue it hasn't really impressed me because uh, kind of like what you said, I've been. Taking it at face value, I've been accepting it for what it is. Just a book where they, you know, they don't get into deep themes, but they just go out, kick ass, and yeah, this issue actually had a little bit of depth to it. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This issue, they did have some depth. So yeah, so this week's Red Hood and the Outlaw is pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. And Batman was pretty good too. Batman, DC Universe presents. I read that one. Um, Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, it's an anthology series that just follows these random characters who they usually don't get their own ongoing title. Yeah, yeah. And, this is uh, basically the given like Dead Man and Challenger yeah. the Unknown. Yeah, and the previous five issues were all dedicated to Dead Man, and now I think you know every every arc is another character. And so in this issue, they did they started up their arc with the uh, Challenger of the Unknown. And do you know much about them? MB? No. No, I don't. Um, for those not in the know, the Challenge of the Unknown, they were created by Jack Kirby in like nineteen fifty seven. I looked it up this afternoon, but um they're kinda they were a precursor to the Fantastic Four. It was a group of like four people. Like there was a scientist, a uh, a jock, a pilot, and I forgot what the fourth guy did, but they were all four men and they were like explorers and they were in this uh 
plane wreck and they all survived. And because, you know, they had like a wake up call and they decided to um, go do something with their lives and they became the challenge of the unknown. And I say that they're a precursor to the Fantastic Four. They were in the way that they they went out into space. They went through time. They did all kinds of crazy sci-fi and supernatural stories and stuff. But the only real difference was that they didn't have powers. Yeah. And so um, this new series, it shows, uh, I guess, the New 52's version of the Challenge of the Unknown. And um, it was kind of interesting, I guess. Uh, like, pretty much... There are some characters here, they're not the same characters. Like, there's one character who's the same one, uh, Ace. He's the pilot of the original Challenge Unknown. In this one, he's like a pilot, and something happens to him, and he kind of dies. But anyway, the way the story is, is that there's this group. It's like it's almost like the Challenge Unknown. It's like a uh, reality show, yeah. is what it is, called Challenge Unknown. Like, celebrities and stuff, they go out and do almost like a... Was it the the great though the um is it the great race is that the name of the the amazing the race the amazing race yeah it's almost kind of like amazing race where they go out across the world and do stuff and so pretty much they're filming an uh, episode of Challenge the Unknown when something happens and they crash in the Himalayas and they go to uh I always I always butcher how it's pronounced Nabit Parrot you know the uh, Himalayan Nanda Parbit. Nanda Parbat, yeah, the Himalayan stronghold, and they get into some mystical stuff with the monks and everything, and then they go back to their plane wreck, and they start, they're prepared to climb down the mountain, and one of their members is dead, or so they think, you know, his body is nowhere to be found, and it's implying that they were all brought together for a reason. The monks, they say that, you know, they all, all the ones that survived the plane crash survived for a reason. And, you know, it just leaves off there. But it's been kind of interesting. It wasn't, it was, I was kind of hoping to be kind of better, more. Because Dan Didio did it, and he was, up until they canceled, he was doing the OMAC book. Mm-hmm. And that was very, I never read it, but from what the reviews said, they said it was very Kirby-esque. And I was kind of hoping that this new take would kind of retain some of the Kirby magic. Well, the of, thing the thing is, is that it wasn't so much the writing, it was the art that was oh, very. Oh, okay. That's very curvy. Yeah. That, 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 that goes a long way. Yeah. So. But, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably check it out still. So Because you, I like I like all that crazy stuff. So would you recommend this issue? Probably if you if you want to just get on into something and just read it, you know. And, I mean, hopefully it'll get better. But, I mean, it's it's all right. It's okay. It's just okay. It's not nothing great, nothing bad. But if it can improve, um, if you hope improving, if you like these kind of stories, then check it out. Okay. And how about you? What did you read that I did not? Well, I wanted to get into the uh, series that I started reading this week. And it's, like I said, it was Incorruptible slash Irredeemable. Yeah, they're uh, companion pieces, right? They're companion pieces. They're both by Mark Wade, And essentially, uh, well, they were published by... uh, a comic company called Boom Studios. Yeah. Which is essentially like a lower tier studio, but they're quickly starting to rise up because of the series. A lot of it is based off of uh, Wade's success with it. Like this, the first series, Irredeemable, won an Eisner Award. Mm hmm. Um, and the premise is very simple. Like when you think about it, it's what if Superman went insane? <laughs> and started killing everyone. Yeah. Like, how how would the world react to something like that? Like, this superhero that is very much Superman, he's called a Plutonian. He's a he's a radio disc jockey guy who wears Radio glasses. disc jockey. Oh, okay, yeah, that's his secret identity. Yeah, um... His name's Clark Kant. Uh, his, 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 his real name's thankfully not, like... Thankfully not, like, a patronizing depiction of, like, Clark Kent or anything, oh, but... Really? Is there at least alliteration in the name? I forget what his real name is, but his his superhero name is the Plutonian. Yeah. And what is implied that turns him insane is that he's been hearing whispers all around him, like he can hear everything. And he's been hearing whispers of people that just don't accept him for who he is. 
Like, they, they think he's a freak or something. And then, finally, it plays out like a... Like, essentially, Wade takes the scene where Superman reveals his identity to Lois Lane mm-hmm. and proposes to her and flips it over. Like, when he does that, his girlfriend freaks out, calls him <laughs> calls him a liar, and and then runs into the other room and reveals his true identity to the world. Like, and, on the radio? Yeah. And he... That's the natural reaction, I guess. Yeah, he basically flies away, threatens everyone, like like saying that now that uh, his enemies know his true identity, they're all going to come after them. Mm-hmm. And he flies away for a couple months. And when he returns, he goes on a killing spree, like a rampage. Like, he destroys an entire city. And, just for fun? I mean, not just for fun, just for, like, he's just like a cold-hearted, emotionless type. He kills everyone like Heat Vision, and it's a massacre, and he just has this stoic look on his face the entire time. Like, essentially, if Superman decided that he was better than everyone else, this is what he would do. And that's the plot of Irredeemable. The series that I actually read for the first time was uh, Incorruptible, which is a companion piece about one of the Plutonians' greatest enemies called Max Damage. (laughs) Yeah. And he's essentially kind of like... He's essentially like a white Luke Cage... Only oh evil. yeah, and he, oh man, I love White Luke Cage. Essentially, this... he has the same powers as Luke Cage. He can't. He's indestructible. He has superhuman strength, but he also like he steals like a mega virus that is supposed to be able to take out one third of the world's population. Like he does stuff like that occasionally. Um, is his catchphrase uh, "Syrupy Easter" instead of "Sweet <laughs> Christmas"? <laughs> Uh, I kind of wish it was now. Survey Easter! <laughs> Essentially what happens is, after the Plutonian goes mad, this guy starts to rearrange his life and see that maybe since everyone's afraid of the Plutonian and everyone thinks it's gonna, the world's going to end because of that superhero going evil, that someone needs to step up and replace him as like a, the hope for the world. Yeah. So he kind of goes out of his way to start playing it straight and becoming a hero. And doing things like he doesn't—he burns all of the money that he's made over his cons and his crimes over the years, and says it's dirty money. He has to start over. He makes a pact with like a a police commissioner guy that is an ex-alcoholic and one of the only cops living in the city that the plutonium destroyed. So he's like, uh, like you're talking about, like he's the only survivor. Well, not only, not the only survivor. One of the only survivors. Mm. Like he's. Probably the most prominent survivor. Oh. Um, and then you also have like the lowest lane of the Plutonian joining up with them. Um, and you have kind of a rift there because he always kidnapped her back in the old days. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, and uh, you also have like this Harley Quinn type sidekick that he calls Jailbait. Because, <laughs> she's, because she's underage and she's dressed in like this leather get-up attire. <laughs> That's awesome. And, like, essentially she is hard, like, because she has that sort of ditzy, yeah. insane personality type. Mr. J. Yeah, she pretty much. on that, just for fun. Uh, she pretty much follows him around and... and Throws it on him. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, you know, it's it's a really fun comic book. Like, it's a really good... I went through, like, in a day, I went through, like, eight issues, and I'm up to issue 12. And so far, it's really good. Um... I also read a bit of Irredeemable, and it was okay. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as good as Incorruptible, but mm. it served its purpose. You like it because there's a guy in it that very closely resembles Doctor Who um, as one of the superheroes mm-hmm. that kind of has to assemble the rest of the living superheroes together. Because what happens in Incorruptible, in Irredeemable, I mean, is that <coughs> when people start, you know, organizing to take the plutonian down he kills a bunch of them like he kills <laughs> he kills like the batman equivalent of that world does he say prep and then he shoots his brains out with the laser beam does he say what does he does he start to say prep time and then all of a sudden he gets lobotomized by a laser <laughs> i wish um you don't actually see him kill the batman 
but it's 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 a really cool series, both of them. I I I'd say check them out just for just if you would want to see like a story where Superman went evil and Lex yeah. Luthor went good. Well, I kind of you kind of wonder because like uh like a character like Superman. I mean, you know the fact that he can hear it all, he can a lot of times see everything, and that would kind of almost drive you crazy if you couldn't. Like, if you could hear everything, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's been implied that there are a lot of elements that led to the Plutonian's downfall, yeah. like not necessarily just his secret identity being exposed and all that. Also, that was a pretty dick move, I would say. But on the Lois Lane? Yeah, yeah, because, hey, I love you, I'm I'm a superhero. Fuck you, hey, everybody, this guy's a superhero. I mean, she basically felt betrayed because, you know, he was always lying to her and yeah. all that. So, I mean, yeah, you kind of get the feeling that maybe she was in the wrong for doing the, it. But... The moral of the story is if you have a secret identity, work in print because it takes a lot longer for people to find out something through print. <laughs> basically, and wear a tiny pair of glasses. Stop the presses! <laughs> what? You fucked up the presses. We, you told me to stop them. That's what happens when you stop the presses. I didn't know you physically stopped him. My bad. <laughs> and he puts on a pair of glasses and says, where'd he go? Where'd he go? He disappeared. Where'd the plutonium <laughs> go? And then you burst in and say, where's Matt Johnson gone? And then, yeah, I'm hiding. I'm like sitting in the corner with the glasses on. I don't <laughs> know. He's somewhere. He went down that way. <laughs> Fucker owes me six bucks. Go get him. <laughs> He's stolen millions in his in his family's uh, chest. Yes, I I run away with all the Confederate gold. <laughs> I say, sir. I say, sir. Give me my dress. I'm pulling a Jefferson Davis. <laughs> yeah. So what what's another book that you read this week? Let's see. Um. Oh, one thing too I want to talk about. Um. I talked about it before we started recording was uh, Road Rage by uh, Stephen King and Joe Hill. Mm-hmm. So pretty much, and Joe everybody... Hill's the guy that wrote Lock and Key. Yeah, said. Lock and Key. Um, he's Stephen King's son. Um, he doesn't. You know, his real name is Joe King, but he goes by Joe Hill because you know he doesn't want to be. Hey, here's a new book from Stephen King's kid. Yeah. But um, yeah, they're they're working together on a comic. They work together on a few projects actually, and they're both good writers. I haven't ever read Lock and Key, but I'm a big fan of Stephen King and. I've read Joe Hill's two of his novels, and both novels are very excellent, and he's got a lot of his father's talent. But, um, yeah, Road Rage, it's a, I think it's a miniseries they're doing from um, IDW, and what it is, it's like a horror comic, kind of. And this it's the story of these bikers. They're, um, they're part of an outlaw motorcycle gang called the Tribe MC. Mm-hmm. And... Prior to the events of the first issue, they kind of flash back in the first issue, but they show, like, there was this guy, they paid him, like, $60,000 to set up a meth lab. And because he gave their money to a meth head, it go it all goes to shit, and the meth lab ends up exploding, and they lose all their money. Well, or they, they think watch, they lose... Well, didn't hmm? they watch Breaking Bad? Like, yeah, that would have think... told them... That would have told them everything. Well, if you're going to make meth, at least make meth with a sociopathic... Uh, chemistry teacher. Yeah, make meth with Brian Cranston. Yeah, make meth with Brian Cranston, and you'll go far, or you'll go far until. Well, I shouldn't say because I might spoil it for you. But anyway, um, speaking of which, watch fucking Breaking Bad, asshole. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they're out uh, around sixty thousand dollars, but they think that like he's got most of the money with him, and so like in the flashback they show him go back to his house, and they kill him for screwing them over and so they think that i want to say it's set somewhere in nevada because they mentioned going to las vegas and um there's this town that the they're going to it's nine bikers and uh while they're talking like they're kind of talking about where to go next and like one of them mentions um killing the guy and all the money and stuff they're at a truck stop when they're talking about this and you see like in the background there's this trucker sitting in his cab listening to him, mm-hmm. and uh, he quickly drives off. And uh, as they continue down the road, the truck comes back. 
and it starts stalking them. And then, uh, as the issue goes on, the truck it finally moves in and it starts killing them like one by one. Like it, there's I want to say the issue start off with about seven or eight guys, and throughout like at the very end of the book, the truck like it hits and run runs over about three of them, mm-hmm. and just one go. And so, um, it's been pretty interesting so far. Like I said, it's a it's a interesting um, concept to horror. Uh, just, you know, of all places you wouldn't think of a killer would be a killer truck driver on the interstate. <laughs> but leave it to Stephen King and Joe Hill to come up with something like that. And one thing, too, that's interesting is um, two of the characters in the motorcycle gang are father and son, and one of them is like an old-timer, and his son's a lot more rash and, uh, you know, young and bold, and they kind of butt heads, and I hope to see more of that. It sounds a lot like a show you watch, uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, it's kind of like Sons of Anarchy, which is kind of interesting because both... Well, I don't know if Joe Hill is, but I know Stephen King's a big fan of Sons of Anarchy because he has this blog that he does for Entertainment Weekly, this column that he does, and he talks about it. And he actually, in the second season, no, it was the third season, he appeared... He had a guest role in the third season of Sons of Anarchy. He played like a, uh, a crime scene cleaner who was very creepy and... He was named Bachman, which is, if you're a fan of Stephen King, is kind of a nice little Easter egg because he wrote about four or five books in the 70s and 80s under a pseudonym Richard Bachman. But um, yeah, it's it's a little bit like Sons of Anarchy, but Sons of Anarchy with a nice little uh, horror twist to it. Yeah, and that that improves everything, you know, horror. Or boo. That's what the truck driver does. He just leans out the window. Boo, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> he wears like a sheet. <laughs> he, he's basically like a... He's trying to be a ghost. Yeah. I'm in my ghost truck. Boo, boo. You know, when you said that he wore a sheet for a second... Uh, he thought, take, yeah. Yeah, yeah your mind went to the clan, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I am talking to you, so it's expected. Well, I would have you know, sir, that us clansmen think better. We ride either on horses or doom buggies. Oh, okay. My bad. We uh, ride and doom buggies. By the way, I should probably mention, I forgot to mention earlier, um, in Incorruptible, mm-hmm. there's a there's a group of white supremacists that believe that, that when the Plutonian killed all the people of Sky City, that... Um, that he did it to cleanse the world of all the uh, undesirable races. Makes me proud. <laughs> Does he turn around and kill them? Um, no, he doesn't turn around and kill them, but um, their logic is quickly proven wrong because, you know, he killed just as many white people as he killed yeah. as any other uh, group. It's just that they believe, you know, well, you know, you can't make an island without breaking some eggs. Yeah. So. That's um, he's an equal opportunity killer, and I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you can you can respect the Plutonian. Yeah. What else this is there that we've read? Let's see. Listen, what about something we both read? Um, Daredevil number nine. Uh, maybe. Uh, well, I don't really have too much to say about it. I I pretty much enjoyed it. Just, I mean, it was kind of a like most of the issue was just him following the what are they called again? The mole the men's monsters. Yeah, the Molonites or something. Moloids. Yeah, Moloids. It was Moloids. Um, and he's following the Mole Man, and you know some creepy stuff happens. Yes. One thing that was kind of cool was like how you see in the tunnels and caves that how his um his radar doesn't work because like there you see that like, these monsters lurking in the shadows, but his radar doesn't pick them up right. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. I yeah, thought that Wade's, was a nice little touch. Yeah, well, Wade's doing a really good job with that series. Let's see. What else? Wait, um, what about Winter Soldier? Uh, to be honest, I don't really have much to say about that. Yeah. Um, um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, a gorilla, a gorilla with a machine gun and a jetpack. What more can you ask for? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's basically all you need to say about that issue. Do you have much to say about uh, Amazing Spider-Man? Uh, I don't really care for it that much. And the reason why is that, I don't know, something about it just seemed rather 
formulaic, I think. Yeah. Well, um, one thing that I kind of, I don't know, this is, I thought, isn't the point of these point one issues kind of to be like a jumping on point? Yeah, that's what they advertise it as. It kind of works a little bit, but not really to me. Like, you know, I, I wasn't that lost, but I could see where someone who doesn't know too much about Spider-Man at this point can get lost. But. I think there are other issues in the book that are a better jumping on point than yeah. this. Um, this was basically Peter Parker is now working for like a science, what is it, like a lab or something? Yeah, Horizon Labs. Yeah, he's he's working for a laboratory. Um and someone is keeping one of his enemies, uh, Morbius. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. oh, oh. He's a communist. Whoa. <laughs> That's my Russian accent. Whoa, oh, oh. Blah. Spider-Man. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, two he's web a, shooters. <laughs> he's a rabid uh, communist. Yeah. Uh, actually, he's a vampire. Um, Blah. And he goes rabid, and that's... I mean, that's basically what you could say about the issue. There's a kid there that... Studies monster movies and yeah. built weapons just in case. And, of course, he has the same name as The Watcher. Yeah. Uatu. Uatu, Because, uh, is, do they ever explain why he has the same name as The Watcher? No, I don't know. I think um, that it had something to do with... Because uh, I think he... Like, I noticed in the issue he applies, like... Uh, that his parents were huge Fantastic Four fans. I guess. And I get I I, I didn't know that the Watcher was like a known entity you know, inside the. I mean, I know he was known to like heroes and stuff because for a guy called the Watcher, he sure fucking shows up and intervenes a lot. <laughs> but you know, he should change his name to the Watcher and the do doer. shit. Yeah, the Watcher and the Doer. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not really much I could say. It was written by Dan Slott and Chris Yost. Um, so you can kind of tell that it was more emphasized on seriousness than, you know, Spidey quipping. There was a few quips. There were a couple. Um, but most of it was, like, very dry, very... Yeah, I'm, maybe one day Mark Wade will take over Spider-Man and we can all rejoice. Yeah. I mean, I, don't, I have nothing against Dan Slott. I think he's yeah, a great writer, but... but... Just from the crossover, I loved you know, the way Mark Ray- Wade wrote Spider-Man with yeah. the Daredevil crossover. Well, Wade writing anything is awesome. Yeah. So has he ever done Spider-Man before, like in the long he did, term? He did House of M Spider-Man, uh, which is uh, well, you can't blame him for you know having to work with a crappy concept. I I don't know, like I like I mean, House of M Spider-Man. Really? Oh, well, maybe the Spider-Man, but I'm talking like the overall House of M. I wasn't yeah. too big a fan of. Yeah, but uh, this the Spider-Man miniseries of it was kind of it was yeah. kind of cool. I, um, the only thing I really know about it was wasn't like Gwen Stacy alive and. Yeah, she and Peter were married in the in yeah. the House of M universe, rather than Mary Jane. As and, always, every his, time there's an alternate reality, Gwen Stacy's always alive. Yeah, until you know Carnage eats her. Yeah. Um. <laughs> that should happen in every what if is like and then Carnage ate Gwen Stacy. Yeah, there's like sixteen oh two, you Hello, mine lady, mine Gwendolyn Stacy, and all of a sudden the monster just comes out of nowhere and eats her. What the fuck was that? <laughs> it was Carnage. What the fuck's a Carnage? Why are we not talking with British accents anymore? I don't know. <laughs> Nothing makes sense anymore. Then you appear with glasses. Where'd yeah. he go? Where'd he go? I I I hand Carnage some glasses and we run away. <laughs> And I, I stay alive long enough to uh, m- make the South win the Civil War. Yeah, that's how sixteen oh two ends in your mind. <laughs> that's my that's my what if. Sixteen oh two, no sir, no sir. But yeah, there was that, and then I don't know what. There's nothing really else that I really want to talk about. I, I read yeah. Invincible Iron Man, which was you know it was decent. Um. It ended on a good note, I, I thought, because you basically have all of Iron Man's major villains coming together. And Teaming it's, up. Yeah, it's, it's like a classic supervillain type arc where all of his... You know, Iron Man's villains aren't really known for being, well, known. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I like the idea of 
of them teaming up under the Mandarin. Uh, who all was it? The Mandarin, well, Obadiah Stain, right? Well, there were too many or of them. Or not Stain, but... There were too many of them for me to, to mention, but it's like Living Laser. Um, I don't think... No, Whiplash wasn't there, but, um, you know, Crimson Dynamo. Uh, Which the, is, yeah, the movie stole for Whiplash. Uh, the Titanium Man. Um, Iron... Well, not Ironmonger, but the son of Obadiah Stane yeah, is there. Yeah, Ezekiel. Isn't that his name, Ezekiel Stane? Yeah. And he's working for the Mandarin. Um, basically, all of them are teaming up because now that fear itself is over, Tony Stark started drinking again. Woohoo! And all of his enemies are targeting his empire now that he's, you know, <laughs> now that he's a useless drunk. And they're all, I guess, their their master plan is to keep sending him, like, champagne. <laughs> He'll drink himself. Or like they, hey, like you know, Ezekiel Stane shows up. Hey, Tony, you want some ice cream? He's like, yeah. It's rum raisin. No. <laughs> it's the end of Iron Man as we know it. Do you, do you want? Do you want a uh, some coffee? Yeah, sure. It's Irish coffee. No. <laughs> they just keep on working in ways to get him drunk. It's like, do you want root beer? It's like, no. Wait. Root beer? Uh, root beer? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. He starts drinking it. It's mostly beer, though. <laughs> no. It's the end of Iron Man as we know it. Um, actually, this story is leading into a storyline they recently announced um, called Iron Man No More, uh, which is a little... It reminds me of a certain... Does he, other, uh, it does rem- he throw his armor into like a <laughs> trash can and walks away? Yeah, that was... I am Iron Man I, No More. <laughs> that was what I was... Yeah. Going. It's like, like, like it's like that running joke that we did with Spider-Man. Yeah, like um, the Avengers won't let Iron Man like win at Monopoly, so he's like, <laughs> I'm Iron Man no more. <laughs> yeah, he he's not getting any sex from from Pepper Potts. Yeah. He's like, you you will give me sex, or I am Iron Man no more. <laughs> it just then, pretty much like gets to the point to where you know, like like Jarvis, can you give me a foot massage? Um, I'm kind of busy. Well, then I am Iron Man no more. <laughs> Good God! All right. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, there's there's that. But the issue itself was enjoyable because you saw Iron Man and War Machine, um, you know. Is, is Matt Fraction still writing it? Yeah. Okay. I, I've heard, like, I've seen people, like, criticize him, like, on Thor and stuff. But I've heard he writes a pretty decent Iron Man. Yeah, he's more of an Iron Man guy than he I... He writes Iron Man good and, like... Thor's okay, and from what I've heard, he can't write the X-Men, you know, any, he, he, he's kind of, like, very meh when it comes to the X-Men. Yeah. That's the story, anyway. That's the word on the street. Yeah, also, he was a mastermind with Fear itself, so, it's like... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fear Serpent. He's, ah. he's very hit or miss. That like, every, his, everything's about hammers with him. Yeah. That was his, his pitch, was, uh... For fear itself was, hey, you see how cool Blackest Night was where everybody got a power ring? Everybody gets hammers, and there's a fear monster. <laughs> and then he, He's like the truck driver in, that, in yeah, Road Rage. He puts on a sheet, <laughs> fear serpent. <laughs> and Marvel's like, all right, as long as we can get 16 <laughs> variant covers out of this, we'll do it. And then Morbius joins him. Yeah. <laughs> And then Brian Michael Bendis slowly in the back of the room he pulls out a knife and prepares to take Matt Fraction's face. <laughs> Little does does he know he already had Matt Fraction's face, yes. so that's the twist. He just needed the two he just needed his hair for the toupee. <laughs> I guess Matt Fraction has hair. Yeah, he does. Well, uh, that yeah, that was good to know. You've uh, heard it here first, folks, Matt Fraction, uh, individual with hair. <laughs> What next will uh, reveal whether or not Grant Morrison has hair? Spoiler alert: He doesn't. No, he doesn't. He used his to. His eyebrows and are fake. He's used to, and it freaked me out when you showed me a yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. He looked. I mean, I think what it was though is that that picture was also twenty years old, and he was a lot skinnier than he is now. I'm not saying he's fat, but you know, his face was like very skinny. I think to me, you know, he just looked the same, except he had hair. That's I wonder what, if like that's what freaked me out about it. I'm like, you know, if you trace back his family tree, like there's this picture of a of a Morrison in Scotland from like 1700s, and it's still Grant Morrison, <laughs> but just with a different hairstyle. Like every 10, 20 years, he changes hairstyle. Like he's, he's immortal. Yeah, he's a Highlander. Or or it's like uh, you remember in Batman and Robin that big painting. 
that big wall that had all the paints of the Waynes through the years. Yeah, it's basically it's like, that's based on his real life. Yeah, his, like he in his manor in Scotland, there's like there's one of them that's dressed up like a pilgrim and one that's dressed up like a uh, British uh, military officer and one that's dressed up like a detective and one's got on the William Wallace uh, uh, face paint. <laughs> so He's, it's William Wallace. Yeah. In fact. Pretty much. Um, so, you know, I think we've talked enough about... Yeah, we we didn't get into something else you want to talk about, but there's always... You there's know, always next time. Because, yeah, you know, we got, we've got nothing to do. Yeah, and I was surprised we got as much talk out of this one as we did. Yeah, because usually, you know, we, we wander off. Um, oh, and um, one thing we did forget to talk about was the um, fancy new intro and outro. That's right. Uh, if you'll notice... This uh, didn't start with the usual, you know, uh, techno remix of, like, the 60s series theme or the... Batman! Or the 1989 series theme. Yeah. Uh, this one actually starts with a new intro and outro that was made by the same guy that made the intro and outro for uh, another podcast that I do, Pulp Nightmare. Yes. Uh, it was made by James Lewis, a.k.a. Hero. dun dun, dun he's our hero. Yep, exactly. Um, and he's like the only people who listen to us. Yeah, I mean, he's the groupie for Pulp Nightmare and, and Dork Nights. Hopefully, yeah, he's listened to a few episodes of Dork Nights, so I yes, think my uh, voice is turning him off. <laughs> as as it does with everyone. Every Everybody but like one woman. Like one woman loves to hear my voice for some reason. I think it's like um like morbid curiosity. Yeah, I, I think it's that. Or... Or she simply just doesn't have anything else to do. She's freaky. Super freak. Alright, so that's been this edition of yep. the Fortnite. Uh, I've been MB. I've been, as always, Birdman. See you next time. Same MB time, same bird channel. With their mission accomplished, these glamorous figures vanish as suddenly as they appear. Hey, and don't forget uh, to follow us on iTunes. Or uh, don't forget to you can download us on iTunes at Dork Nights. And also, we've got a Twitter page, so find us on Twitter as well at what's the the Dork Nights? Is that what it is? Yeah, the Dork Nights. And also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook, and I have a Twitter account which I won't say because you don't want to look at that shit. Uh, Facebook.com slash Dork Nights. Yes, like us. Yeah. Because no one else does. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's for reasons like that that nobody likes us.